Good morning, and God bless you for being here this morning. In a message, for a message this morning, we'd like to continue the life of David. I've taken the message from 2 Samuel chapter 11, the account of uh, David and Bathsheba. As, we go th as, I, as I go through the life of David, um, as I go through the life of David, it would be easy to just um, not go through this account. Um, in 2 Samuel, we have two chapters um, talking about this account, but we find this, we find this to be so pivotal in David's life that to do a proper study on the rest of David's life, you need to, take, you need to talk about this. You need to think about uh, this incident with David and Bathsheba. So we think about David as being a man after God's heart. And so we think about the definition for a man after God's heart. A man after God's heart is what? Does what? Yes. Man after God's own heart loves what God loves and hates what God hates. And so I think in the context of even this story with David and Bathsheba, we need to keep that, we need to keep that in mind. As we go through a timeline in David's life then, um, David became king in Hebron, um, king only of Judah, the tribes of Judah, Judah and Benjamin when he was about 30. Uh, David uh, reigned in Judah for seven and a half years. Uh, so when David was 37, he became king over all Israel. Um, we believe this account with uh, Bathsheba would have taken place when David is about 50 or perhaps in his early 50s. And so it provides kind of a context for this uh, from David's life. I'd just like to, I know I'm going to be reviewing a little from what we had the last time on David's life. And actually, that message was probably two months ago. So most of you probably forgot it anyhow. So um, think about some things in David's life. And, um, and so in the seven in the 13 years that David would have been king of Judah, 13 or 14 years, David was king of Judah and also Israel. He was king over the entire country of Israel. We see David, um, David's accomplishments were phenomenal. There has been no king, there's been no king of Israel or not many kings in any part of the world that have accomplished what David did in 17, in 13 years or or you could say maybe 20 years. So um, David's accomplishments for, were phenomenal. He was a tremendous uh, military leader, a tremendous captain, a tremendous, uh, even a tremendous spiritual leader in the nation of Israel. Um, he conquered um, lands, uh, actually increased the size of Israel by 10 times. And if you if we'd have a map here this morning, you could see that the the expanse of the nation of Israel is tremendously expanded during the time of David. 
uh, trade routes were opened. And if you look at Israel today, even today, Israel is like a narrow strip of land between two great, in Bible times, two great civilizations. We have Mesopotamia to the east and um, Egypt to the south and the west. And Israel was a narrow strip of land between a big desert and the Mediterranean Sea and all trade, world trade went through the nation of Israel. And so David opened the doors of trade. He created trade routes that went through Israel and opened the door to trade and it brought in a tremendous amount of wealth to the, to the nation of Israel. And so um, David was able to accomplish that. And that's one reason throughout uh, world history, that's one reason throughout world history that we have more wars fought on this piece of property, the nation of Israel, than any other place in the world because of the way that this, this strip of land was able to control world trade. And so anybody that wanted any kind of power or prestige in the world at that time tried to control Israel. And they also controlled world trade by being able to do that. Israel became very wealthy. Uh, David subdued the Philistines, the Edomites. Uh, Egypt was going through a time when they were uh, becoming weaker and weaker. Um, Tyre was friendly with Israel, and so there was just a tremendous, um, tremendous wealth. Uh, David was seen as a very, very important and probably most, the most important king in his time in the known world at that time. The same time, David also elevated the worship of God by lifting the role of the priests, the Levites. Uh, worship of the true God was promoted and freely practiced in the land of Israel. And uh, he did a really good job of destroying idol worship in Israel. You don't read of idol worship in Israel during the time of David. Later, during the time of Solomon, you read of idol worship again, but not during the time of David. David was, um, was, did a, an excellent job of taking care of idol worship. Uh, he promoted the worship of the true God, and the worship of the true God was freely practiced uh, during his reign. But we have, a, we have a king here. We have David as king, and by the time he's 50 or in the early 50s, David had almost unlimited power. David had almost unlimited power. The enemies were subdued, and wealth was pouring into the nation of Israel. He was a very, very powerful king during that time. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm going through this because it leads, it leads up to the early 50s and um, the account with um, Bathsheba. At the same time, uh, during this same time, we also have some of David's humanity, some of David's humanity coming through. Um, I, I find it interesting that we actually have about six or seven scriptures that specifically talk about his family. And um, I'm not going to go through all of these, but we find the size of his family has 
has uh, started increasing dramatically when he was king at Hebron, where he was only king over, over um, he was only king of Judah. We have the size of his family increasing dramatically. Then at Jerusalem, he, when he was king over all Israel, he, his, the, the size of his family kept getting larger. Um, if you compile some of the scriptures that talk about his family, he would have had eight wives that were named and other wives that were not named. So we don't know how many wives he had total. And there was also a number of concubines and their children that were not named. And so we have David and, uh, yeah, quite a large, a large family. But then from all these wives and concubines, we have uh, children being born. And the Bible names 20 sons and one daughter. At the same time, the Bible also says there were other children. So we don't know exactly how many there were total, but we know there was at least these um, 20 sons and one daughter. And so David, uh, David was a, a man of, okay, so we have some, some of his humanity coming through in this. David was the kind of person who, uh, you know, when he did something, he did it with all his heart. Uh, he went to battle. He fought to the end. Um, he was a spiritual leader in Israel. He got rid of all idol worship. He elevated the role of the priests. He did it. He did it right. And we find the same thing coming through in David's love life. I'm not talking about agape love. We find the same thing. So we look at his large family, all his wives and concubines, and then the children that came from that. Uh, David was a man of, of passion. He did it, you know, what he did, we did it with all his heart. He served God with all his heart and so on. And uh, he did it with a passion. And, um, but David's large family comes back to haunt him later. David's large family comes back to haunt him later. I'm gonna, there's a few questions in connection with this I'd like for us to think about. So was, and I'd like to have, I'd like to hear from you a little bit. So was, was it God's will for David to be king? Yes. yes. He was anointed three times as a king. He was anointed as a boy by Samuel. Then he was anointed at Hebron. And he was also anointed at Jerusalem. God wanted him to be king. Did God want David to have a family? Was it wrong for a king to have a family? No, it wasn't wrong for a king to have a family. So what was the problem? Why didn't his family do well? What was the problem? He disobeyed God's instructions to kings. He disobeyed God's instruction for the kings, right? Okay. So it was not wrong for David to have a family, but David didn't do it, David didn't do it God's way. So in the Old Testament, we have, in the Old Testament, one of the warnings that Moses gives to the children of Israel concerning their king was that these kings were not to have many wives. They're not to have horses, they're not to have many wives, they're not to have uh, a lot of wealth. 
And so we saw the last time where David was conquering, and I'd have to go back to my notes and see all the details there. David had conquered a local, I think it was Syria. David conquered a king in Syria, but he kept a hundred horses for himself. David had many wives, so we see lots of wives, concubines, many children. So David, David was not outside God's will in having a family, but he didn't do it God's way, right? He didn't do it God's way. So David, it was nothing, there was nothing wrong with David having family, but he didn't do it God's way. Um, let's just make some, some, um, some applications to that for us today. So, um, you know, all of us have responsibilities and God is calling us to certain things. Uh, we have, we're fathers and mothers and so on. Um, so God gives us the work. God gives us the work to do. And that's, we need to get a vision for what God wants for us to do. But, but also, we also need to think about doing God's work, God's way. And that, doing God's work, God's way, can make the difference of God's blessing and being successful with God, with what God calls us to do. Um, I, uh, I've seen numerous um, people, men, get into something that God specifically called them to do, but, but they failed because it wasn't really done God's way. So there's two aspects of doing what God wants us to do. We have God should, God gives us a, a vision, God gives us a responsibility, God gives us a vision for what he wants us to accomplish, but we should be very careful then that we also do it God's way. Doing God's work in our own strength, doing it in our own, with our own resources, with our own wisdom isn't going to work. And God wants us to do his work, his way. Um, had David followed the warnings in the Old Testament, he could have had, I think he could have had, a successful family. The only one of David's descendants that would have in any way qualified for being su successful would have been Solomon. Solomon started out well, but he didn't end well. And we look at David's grandson, who then later became king of only Judah, and we see he was a very ungodly kind of person. And so the godly heritage not, did not pass to David's descendants. Let's, um, it kind of brings us to, that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to read, I'm going to read the first two verses here. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Read the first two verses here and, and notice some things in this. Came to pass after the year was expired 
at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass in the evening that David rose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of his house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And we know the rest of the story. There are several things that I want us to think about in this. So we're not, so we see David coming into this situation. We're not, David is not someone who has, who has um, been in a backslidden condition. He's not someone who has, who has a reputation for being a pervert. He's not someone who is against God. He is someone who has been successful with what God has given him to do, except, you know, he missed it with his family. But as, as far as being a king, he was about 50 years old. He had ruled, reigned for 17 years in, as all of Judah, in all of Israel, as a very, very, very successful king. He was obviously not engaged uh, with his family. Well, we get into chapter 11 then. We have a year when the kings go to battle. David sends Joab, the servants, they're successful in their battle, but David stays at home. David stays at home. Here's a few more questions for us to think about. Was David, was David where God wanted him to be? Was David where God wanted him to be. No. David was not where God wanted him to be because this was the year when kings go to battle and he was at home. David stayed at home. Um, then we, we uh, notice we notice in verse 2 that we see something else coming here in verse 2. We find David sleeping during the day. So David was sleeping through the day. So not only was he not at home, he was not in the battle, but he was, he was sleeping. So David was totally disengaged from the battle, from, you know, he wasn't being the leader of Israel like he should have been. He was sleeping through the day and he got up in the evening. He got up in the evening. Um, we find, um, yeah, I just find this to be so interesting. So we have a man here who has, who has been very successful, probably at the peak of his reign as king. He had tremendous power, tremendous resources, tremendous wealth, large family. If you would have lived in the, in the nation of Israel at that time, you would have said, David has everything. Everything that a man could want, David had that. God's blessing, God's direction, a large family, prestige, wealth, he had everything. He had everything a person could want. David, David was at a point where, and as, as, as you think about men who have failed, as you think about men who have failed and the uh, 
and how that corresponds to different um, eras of a man's life. And maybe I'm talking a little more to men here. I don't know if this, you know, so maybe this applies to women just as well. But David was at a point where he was very, very successful. He was at a point where he really didn't need anything. He had, he had accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. And a lot of men fail at that point. in their lives. A lot of men fail at that point in their lives. Good times are not always best for men. You know that? You think about, the, and the reason, the reason I'm spending a, 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 a one Sunday morning on this incident is because of the way this incident impacted the rest of David's life. And we find in the scripture that David reigned until he was about 70. So from now until he was 70 was 20 years. The years that David was fleeing from Saul was about eight or 10 years, maybe about half of this time. We find David going through some things in the last 20 years of his life that would make that would make his fleeing from Saul look like a, really, like a really easy job because of this incident. But David was at, was at kind of at the top of everything in his life. He had everything he wanted, everything he needed. God's blessing was there, and I don't think God withholds his blessing or wants to withhold his blessing from us. God blessed David, and it was tremendous what David was able to do, but David was at, the, at a high point in his life, and that's often when men fail. So David, at the high point of his life, he didn't go to battle because he didn't need to go to battle. He had other men that were doing it. He didn't go to battle. He didn't have to work through the day. He could take off a day if he wanted to. He was sleeping in the middle of the day. He got up in the evening. And, and David was at a high point in his life. At the same time, David was at a place where he was probably not accountable. He was in it by himself. He was probably not accountable. And, um, and there, you know, David's family actually set David up for something here that we, that we find. Because David, you know, so I talk about David's love life. In David's love life previous to this, there were no restraints. When Bathsheba came along, there, were no, there was no restraint. David didn't know how to deal with it. I think it's so important when God brings us to this point, to this kind of place in our lives that we learn, especially as men, we learn to respond properly to this kind of success. And that's probably harder, that's probably harder than to depend on God and to trust God during the tough times. It takes some deliberate decisions to respond properly to this. Most men fail in one or more of four areas. We find David failing in several of these. Most men fail in one or more areas. One, moral, 
impurity. Number two, the love of money. Number three, a desire for prestige. And number four, a life of ease. And these kind of temptations often come when a, when a, when a man has, has, can look back on his life. And you know, David's age 50, so that's, a, that's an age when a lot of men go through that kind of that high point in life, just like David did. God would like to use those four areas as, um, and help us to respond properly. God would like to use those four areas to help us respond properly to the good things he gives us. Moral impurity should be replaced by a desire to raise a godly family. The love of money should be replaced by being a cheerful giver. The desire for prestige should be replaced by a man's desire to be a servant leader. Desire to be a servant leader. Number four, life of ease should be replaced with a desire to stay engaged. To stay engaged. Here's something that I want us to think about also. Um, and I, I picked this thought up from a Protestant, actually a Protestant writer, uh, kind of got me started thinking about this. But in uh, John, um, I better, I better turn to this verse. John, First John, one nine. Tremendous, tremendous verse, tremendous promise. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is one of the, you know, this is one of the greatest, so, yeah, you start reading the promises, you know, so. This is one of the greatest promises in scripture, the fact that we can come to God when we make mistakes. We can come to God he for, and he forgives us. He forgives us. Here's, here's what this writer uh, was saying concerning this verse. And this verse is often uh, kind of a go-to kind of verse for us as we think about our Christian lives. This writer was saying, I want us to think about this. This writer was saying that an overemphasis on this verse can actually lead to careless living. Our go-to verse for, Christ, for, the, for Christian living should be Romans chapter 6. Our go-to verses for Christian living should, should be Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, I'd just like to read, read, uh, read a few verses here. 
Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of, right, of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I, I don't want to in any way minimize 1 John 1, 9. For we all need it. We need it. We probably need this every day. We probably need this every day in our Christian lives. We make mistakes every day. We're sinful. We, we're, we, we all carry a sinful nature, and we need God's forgiveness. But let's think a little bit more about Romans chapter 6 where God promises through the death and the resurrection of Jesus to give us power to live above sin. I think Romans chapter 6 ought to be the go-to verse when we think about our Christian lives rather than 1 John 1, 9. And I'm not saying we don't need John, 1 John 1, 9. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to hear me saying that. We need that. But above and beyond that, Romans chapter 6, Paul, as he talks about the Christian life, if we are buried with, if we are buried with Jesus in his death, we crucify the old man, we are buried with him in his death, and we rise again to the newness of life that we find in his resurrection, God gives us all the resources we need to live above sin. And I don't think we should ever minimize that. God has given us everything we need to live above sin. When David found himself in that situation that evening, and, and I don't know, um, you know, we can talk a lot about a proper response to that and so on. But I think the response of Joseph is an interesting response because when he was confronted with this kind of sin, he ran from that situation. And I think that is the only way, that is the only way that men or man is able to deal with that. A proper response for David would have been to run off the roof of his house and try to make an arrangement to meet with the army as soon as he could. I don't know, I don't know how, how, how to deal with this kind of thing otherwise. I think we should think more about what God provides for us we should think more about what God provides for us and the resources for right living. And yet we all find ourselves needing forgiveness. We all find ourselves needing forgiveness. We all find ourselves needing cleansing. But an overemphasis on forgiveness and cleansing that we find in John 1.9 is going to lead to careless living, or it can lead to careless living. I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit here in the story. We may come back to this um, 
maybe later, I'm not sure. We go to 1 Samuel chapter 12 then. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, we have Nathan the prophet coming to David. And I'd like to spend, sometime I'd like to spend a whole message on David, on uh, David being confronted by Nathan. There's some things here that are very, very important. And we find, I mean, uh, Jesse talked about this this morning, and we had this coming through in instruction class too, where Matt had the instruction class for us this morning. But sin always comes, sin will always come with consequences. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, talks about the law of sowing and reaping is always in effect. I remember um, when I was in my late teens and early 20s, there was what we called the Jesus movement. And we had the hippies, you know. But during that time, we had, we had numerous, um, numerous men, numerous people who came to the Lord after living a very, very depraved, wicked kind of life. And that's tremendous. Their lives were changed. They, were, they turned away from their wickedness. Their lives were changed. And they had tremendous testimony for the Lord. And some of these men were actually kind of making their rounds and speaking in various places and churches and giving their testimony. And it was tremendous. Their testimony was tremendous. They had lived in a life of sin. They had lived in a life of wickedness. And God came in and he transformed their lives. And they were able to um, live godly lives after that. But let's be very careful that we don't idolize those kind of, those kind of lives. Because those men... Those men still lived with consequences of their wickedness. And it's so much better to live a Christian life, having started young, made right choices from the time you're young, and you're not, we're not going to be perfect, but having made right choices from the, time the lo- from the time you're young and not having to live with those consequences. Some of these men lost their families, they lost their health, they lost their wealth, they lost everything. And it was like starting their life from scratch again, trying to rebuild with all the broken pieces. It's a tough life. Proper choices when they were younger would have helped them avoid this. Sin always comes with a price. Sin always comes from a price, with a price. When David confronted, or when Nathan confronted David, and I just like to read um, several verses here. Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter twelve, verse nine. Wherefore, uh, Nathan the prophet talking to David. Wherefore thou hast despised. The commandment of the Lord, to do evil in his sight, thou hast killed Uriah the high tide with the sword, thou hast taken his wife to be thy, to be thy wife, and hast slain him, uh, Uriah, with the sword of the children of Ammon. Okay, that was wrong. David sinned in doing that. God's forgiveness was, you know, we, we read through Psalm 51 this morning, God's forgiveness 
God forgave everything. But let's look at the, word, the rest of this verse. He says, now therefore, verse 10, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Thou hast despised me, thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives from before thy eyes and give them to thy neighbor. Thou hast done this thing secretly, but I will do this before all Israel. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And I believe David truly, honestly, and thoroughly repented from his sin. And this account with Nathan the prophet actually took place about a year after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. About a year David was living with this guilt before, before Nathan the prophet confronted him. After Nathan says, God has forgiven you, in verse 14, how be it, because of this deed, Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child that is born unto thee will surely die. David, David lived with the consequences of this sin from the time he was 50 to the time of his death at 70. 20 years. Did God forgive him? We go to, I'd like to spend just a couple uh, minutes in Psalm uh, 51 yet, kind of here in closing. Did God forgive David? Certainly. I believe David thoroughly repented. He was honest. He came to God. He, was, he thoroughly repented. Um, God completely forgave him. But for 20 years, the last 20 years of David's life, we have things coming up in his family over and over again that caused David tremendous heartache and distress. When Solomon, or when not Solomon, Absalom tried to take the kingdom from David, the Bible says David fled from Jerusalem barefooted and weeping. Yet he was the king that we would have read about here in 1 Samuel 10 and 11 with all those accomplishments. And God completely forgave him. If we go to Psalm 51, and I'd like to just end with a few comments here from this passage. Psalm 51 is a tremendous, tremendous uh, passage of scripture. David uh, gives this as his prayer of repentance. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. 
Did God do that for David? When David repented, did God do that for him? Certainly he did. God, God's cleansing poured into David's heart and life. God restored his spirit. Uh, David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And God honored that. I believe God was a, rest God was a restorer in, in David's life. And God works in our lives the same way. We make mistakes. We blow it sometimes. God is in the restoration business. He's in the business of bringing healing. He's in the business of helping us. He's in the business. And his grace in our lives even helps us work through some of the consequences, right? It even helps us work through the consequences of our sin. Restore unto me the joy of thy, of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. And I believe God ministered to David's heart and life. God poured his love, his blessing on David. But the consequences continued. The consequences continued. Sometimes I think we would maybe help ourselves by talking a little bit more about the consequences of sin. Sin always comes with a price. After, after we fall, after we make those mistakes, after we blow it, I'm telling you, Satan is nowhere close by to give you any kind of encouragement. He's out of there and having a good time watching you. God works with us very, very differently. So David comes to God in a prayer of repentance. God says, I want to restore you. I'm going to keep my, I'm going to, my Holy Spirit is going to keep living with you. I want to restore you. I want to bring you the joy of being a godly person again. And I believe God did that for David. David responded to this after, as a man after God's own heart. And yet the sword never departed from David's life. He lived with that almost to the day of his death. Three times, sons tried to take the throne from him. We have all kinds of trouble in his family, all kinds of trouble. And you know, sin comes with a price. God is ready. He has resources for us. He's willing to work with us. He's willing to restore us. But sin comes with a price. I think we'll bring this to a close. Let's kneel for prayer.